Howdy folks, this is Mark Davis coming at you from Migrant Rounds. I'm going to jump right into the very first topic, the bicarbonate error or the bicarbonate error. Patients in the ICU often present with profound acid-based arrangements in the face of life-threatening pathology. Most clinicians were schooled during the bicarbonate era, and a focus on the Henderson-Hesselbach equation led clinicians to believe that bicarbonate is a paramount determiner of acid-base status. Greater than 40 years ago, a Canadian physiologist, Peter Stewart, coined an approach to acid-based arrangements in which bicarbonate was not the crown king of acid-base status. Stewart's revolution is often referred to as the modern approach to acid-based turmoil. Stewart's explication assimilated ever-during concepts of physical chemistry, such as conservation of mass, dissociation of electrolytes, and electroneutrality, some of these principles dating all the way back to the 18th century. Stewart was able to substantiate that plasma pH and bicarbonate concentration is determined by PCO2, the effectual ion difference, and the agglomeration of feeble acids, primarily albumin and phosphate. The Herculean ion difference in plasma is determined by the relatively exceeding concentration of sodium when compared with chloride, and the difference is typically about 40 milliequivalents per liter. The electroneutrality of plasma is maintained because the charge gap between these two strong ions is made up by the dissociation of weak acids into their respective anions, including the dissociation of dissolved carbon dioxide into bicarbonate. By showing that plasma proteins, which are weak acids, and dissolved strong ions also participate in acid-base homeostasis, the physiochemical approach provides an explanation for acid-base disorders commonly encountered in critical illness, such as hypoalbuminemia and hyperchloremia. Hypoalbuminemia is a common finding in critically ill patients. It may confound the customary interpretation of acid-base data, owing to the contribution of albumin to plasma's acid-base equilibria. In the face of acidosis, the clinician has only two mechanisms to expeditiously manipulate plasma pH, and that is to hyperventilate, thus lowering PCO2, and to appropriate sodium bicarbonate. The Henderson-Hasselbalch equation predicts that hyperventilation will raise pH. It doesn't take into account that hyperventilation does this by removing CO2 without changing the strong ion difference, nor does it forecast the influence of residual weak acids on the ultimately observed pH. The physiochemical approach reveals that the disbursement of sodium bicarbonate increases pH by raising the aggregation of plasma sodium relative to chloride, not by the addition of a bicarbonate counterbalance to the acid-base system. Why? Because sodium fully dissociates in solution, 
whereas bicarbonate exists in equilibrium with dissolved carbon dioxide or PCO2. It performs like a weak acid. Sodium bicarbonate administration is potentially deleterious. The physiochemical approach predicts an increase in the extracellular PCO2 because carbon dioxide rapidly diffuses across cellular membranes. The PCO2 will swiftly move to the intracellular compartment and exacerbate intracellular acidosis. Let's take it back to basic chemistry. Acidosis is a physiological protective mechanism. Studies performed on patients with ARDS who permissive hypercapnia was allowed and pH fell rapidly from 7.4 to 7.25 noted no change in pulmonary vascular resistance or pulmonary pressures. Also, SVR fell and cardiac output actually went up. pH values down to 7.0 did not have an increased incidence of dysrhythmia or a fall in cardiac output. Hepatocytes exposed to anoxic environments survive longer than those exposed to alkalotic environments. Acidosis, status post-myocardial infarction, during myocardial reperfusion limits the extent of infarction. Acidosis shifts the oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve to the right, increasing oxygen dissociation from hemoglobin, thus increasing tissue oxygenation, which is exactly what we want in the setting of profound critical illness. Extracellular pH does not correlate to the intracellular pH, which is most important. Why is intracellular pH more important than extracellular? Because organelles sit inside the cell, and this is where the magic happens. Mitochondrial pH is profoundly important. The mitochondria must sit in a neutral environment. This is necessary for the electron transport chain to function properly and ATP production to go on uninterrupted. Protective physiologic mechanisms are able to maintain a normal intracellular pH even when the extracellular pH is between 6.9 to 7.4. Remember, not everything that counts can be measured and everything that can be measured doesn't always count. We cannot measure the intracellular pH on the sick wards of the ICU. If we could, it is my opinion that intracellular pH would be much more important clinically than extracellular pH. Let's discuss lactic acidosis. First, treat the underlying pathology. Lactic acid itself is the culprit with respect to a fall in cardiac output. Giving sodium bicarb does not correct the lactic acidosis. In fact, as stated earlier, sodium bicarb administration is potentially deleterious. The physiochemical approach predicts an increase in the extracellular PCO2 because 
carbon dioxide rapidly diffuses across cellular membranes. The PCO2 will swiftly move to the intracellular compartment and exacerbate intracellular acidosis. Sodium bicarb is lactogenic and therefore increases lactic acid concentration, which potentiates a fall in cardiac output. This is due to sodium bicarb administration stimulating glycolysis as the extracellular pH goes up. Glycolysis is mitigated by the pH-sensitive, rate-limiting enzyme phosphofructokinase, which in the face of acidemia puts the brakes on lactic acid generation by inhibiting glycolysis. Raising extracellular pH via the administration of exogenous sodium bicarb will paradoxically increase lactic acid production by way of stimulating glycolysis. The administration of sodium bicarb inhibits compensatory physiology from attempting to maintain homeostasis. Does the administration of bicarbonate raise the extracellular pH? Yes. However, let me take you back to basic biochemistry. Bicarb is not an effective buffer. The dissociation constant, or pK, is the pH at which the acid is 50% dissociated. The pK for carbonic acid is a pH of 6.1. Buffers are most effective at one pH unit on either side of the dissociation constant, or pK. The effective range of the bicarb buffer system should be an extracellular pH between 7.1 and 5.1 pH units. Therefore, bicarb is not expected to be an effective buffer in the usual pH range of extracellular fluid. Raising extracellular pH. Does it benefit our patients? No. There's no difference in hemodynamic variables, including cardiac output when the administration of sodium bicarb is compared to 0.9% saline in patients who are fluid responsive. Please note, the pH of 0.9% saline is 5.5. However, 0.9% saline is not a CO2 load like sodium bicarbonate. Raising extracellular pH does not alter pulmonary pressures, cardiac output, or responsiveness to pressure support. The transient rise in mean arterial pressure is secondary to the tonicity of the sodium bicarb administered. Acidosis decreases the expression of beta receptors, thus decreasing the patient's response to catecholamines. The administration of sodium bicarb does not correct this. In fact, this is worsened due to the intracellular acidosis which sodium bicarb administration exacerbates. What about the administration of sodium bicarb during ACLS resuscitative measures? Is it beneficial? The administration of sodium bicarb during ACLS worsens mortality. 
Sodium bicarb administration was removed from the ACLS guidelines for good reasons. Sodium bicarb is lactogenic via the stimulation of glycolysis, which is mediated by the pH-sensitive, rate-limiting enzyme phosphofructokinase, which in the face of acidemia puts the brakes on lactic acid generation by inhibiting glycolysis. However, raising extracellular pH via the administration of exogenous sodium bicarb will paradoxically increase lactic acid production by way of stimulating glycolysis. Remember, lactic acid directly diminishes cardiac output. Sodium bicarb is an acid burden, exacerbating intracellular acidosis. This inhibits the mitochondrial electron transport chain, which leads to diminished ATP production. Sodium bicarb decreases beta receptor expression due to the exacerbation of an intracellular acidosis, thus diminishing the patient's response to catecholamines. Bicarb shifts the oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve to the left, and O2 loses its ability to readily dissociate from hemoglobin, lending to tissue oxygen starvation. How about that oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve? The administration of sodium bicarb shifts the oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve to the left, which leads to O2 losing its ability to readily dissociate from hemoglobin. This contributes to tissue oxygen starvation. This unwanted effect may last for up to 8 hours due to the inhibition of 2,3-DPG in the face of bicarb administration. Acidosis shifts the oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve to the right, which increases oxygen dissociation from hemoglobin, thus increasing tissue oxygenation. The fall in extracellular pH and rise in PCO2 increases the activity of 2,3-DPG, which contributes to greater dissociation of oxygen from hemoglobin and ultimately tissue oxygenation. How about some more potentially deleterious effects of sodium bicarb administration? Sodium bicarb decreases serum ionized calcium, which contributes to a fall in cardiac contractility as well as hypotension. Sodium bicarb may also contribute to hypervolemia, hyperosmolality, and hypernatremia. Sodium bicarb may also contribute to a transient rise of intracranial pressure. I suggest caution in the neuro ICU patient. Sodium bicarb may cause a fall in PaO2 of 5 to 15 millimeters of mercury secondary to worsening intrapulmonary shunting. Sodium bicarb may increase arterial and tissue capillary partial pressure of carbon dioxide or PCO2. In most standard sodium bicarb solutions, the PCO2 is equivalent to 200 millimeters of mercury, 
which will lower both intracellular and CSF pH. All that being said, when should the clinician administer exogenous sodium bicarb? Administer sodium bicarb when the patient's pathology is causing a loss of endogenous bicarb, such as an RTA, severe diarrhea, or an enterocutaneous fistula. Exogenous sodium bicarb administration is also appropriate in the setting of methanol and ethylene glycol poisoning. Methanol is metabolized to formate. Ethylene glycol is metabolized to glycolate, glyoxylate, and oxalate. Acidemia leads to protonation of these species to unchanged molecules such as formic acid. These unchanged molecules are more likely to penetrate end organ tissues such as the retina, which leads to blindness. The unchanged molecules are also more likely to be reabsorbed across the renal epithelium from the urine. Treatment with exogenous sodium bicarb leads to deprotonation of these acid species, making them less likely to penetrate end organ tissues and more likely to be excreted in the urine. Endogenous sodium bicarb is not lost in the face of a lactic acidosis. The liver clears lactic acid by the synthesis of bicarb. However, during critical illness, the clearance of lactic acid via the liver may become profoundly inhibited. Exogenous sodium bicarb administration will only worsen the lactic acid load given the lactogenicity of sodium bicarb. I suggest that patients with lactic acidosis and severe acidemia being a pH less than 7.1 and a serum bicarbonate level of 6 milliequivalents per liter or less receive bicarbonate therapy. In addition, I suggest bicarbonate therapy for less severe acidosis such as a pH of 7.1 to 7.2 in patients who also have severe acute kidney injury, defined as a twofold or greater increase in serum creatinine or oliguria. Bicarbonate therapy in such patients may prevent the need for dialysis and improve survival. If the patient's pH is 7.1 or lower, and the serum bicarbonate level is greater than 6 milliequivalents per liter, then this indicates that the partial pressure of carbon dioxide is greater than 20 millimeters of mercury, which signifies inadequate ventilation. Such patients have mixed metabolic and respiratory acidosis, and rapid infusion of sodium bicarbonate may worsen the respiratory acidosis. Mechanical ventilation may be necessary to achieve a lower PCO2 level and raise the pH in these patients with severe acidemia due to mixed acidosis. What is the therapeutic goal in light of bicarb administration when indicated? The primary aim of therapy is the reversal of the underlying disease such as shock and sepsis. 
tissue hypoxia may dramatically increase lactic acid production, often coupled with reduced metabolic clearance of lactate by the liver, heart, and kidneys. This combination of overproduction and underutilization can easily overwhelm any attempt to increase the serum bicarbonate with exogenously administered alkali. In fact, as discussed, alkali therapy may accelerate lactic acid production. Thus, unless the pathologic process causing the excessive production of lactic acid can be reversed, any potential benefit of exogenous bicarbonate will be transient. When using bicarbonate therapy in patients with lactic acidosis and severe acidemia, I aim to maintain the arterial pH of 7.1 until the primary process causing the metabolic acidosis can be reversed. For the group of patients with severe acute kidney injury, the pH goal is 7.2 to 7.3. To summarize, extracellular acidosis in the face of critical illness has been shown to be cellular protective. The administration of exogenous bicarb has a potential to cause hypervolemia, hyperosmolality, and hypernatremia, as well as a potential transient rise in intracranial pressure and a potential fall in PaO2 of 5 to 15 millimeters of mercury, secondary to worsening intrapulmonary shunting. Sodium bicarb administration also shifts the oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve to the left, inhibiting 2,3-DPG, which diminishes the dissociation of oxygen from hemoglobin, contributing to tissue O2 starvation. Sodium bicarb administration may potentially cause a fall in cardiac output via three mechanisms. Exogenous sodium bicarb administration is lactogenic, which stimulates glycolysis mediated by the pH-sensitive, rate-limiting enzyme phosphofructokinase, which in the face of acidemia puts the brakes on lactic acid generation by mitigating glycolysis, raising extracellular pH via the administration of exogenous sodium bicarb will paradoxically increase lactic acid production by way of glycolysis stimulation. And lactic acid itself decreases cardiac output. Exogenous sodium bicarb administration causes a fall in serum ionized calcium, which diminishes myocardial contractility and contributes to hypotension. Sodium bicarbonate administration is potentially deleterious. The physiochemical approach predicts an increase in the extracellular PCO2 because exogenous sodium bicarb is a CO2 load. Remember, carbon dioxide rapidly diffuses across cellular membranes. The PCO2 will swiftly move to the intracellular compartment and exacerbate intracellular acidosis causing mitochondrial dysfunction and a fall 
in ATP production. Assure that the patient is adequately ventilated. This is a prerequisite to the effective use of exogenous bicarbonate in patients with lactic acidosis. In non-intubated patients with severe acidemia, an appropriate ventilatory response to the metabolic acidosis should reduce the partial pressure of carbon dioxide to at least 15 millimeters of mercury and often to 10 to 12 millimeters of mercury. If bicarbonate administration raises the pH, this can reduce the ionized calcium concentration and have adverse hemodynamic consequences. Ideally, the ionized calcium should be measured and treated if it falls. However, in many facilities, this measurement may not be readily available within the required time frame. Under such circumstances, if the blood pressure falls or does not improve, and if the ionized calcium could be low, then empiric calcium infusion should be considered. If ventilation is adequate, the patient with severe lactic acidosis, a pH less than 7.1, should be given an intravenous sodium bicarbonate bolus. The serum electrolytes and blood pH should be measured 30 to 60 minutes later, and the administration of sodium bicarbonate can be repeated if severe lactic acidosis, such as a pH less than 7.1, persists. If several doses of sodium bicarb do not increase the pH to 7.1, then all other appropriate therapeutic interventions have been undertaken, then further sodium bicarb therapy should continue in the form of a near isotonic solution of sodium bicarb. If volume overload is an issue and kidney function is compromised, then dialytic therapy can be instituted. Dialytic therapy may be particularly effective in the treatment of otherwise refractory lactic acidosis. Usually, a continuous form of dialytic therapy is used to minimize hemodynamic deterioration. Several advantages of such intervention include the administration of bicarbonate while maintaining or improving the patient's volume status, avoidance of hypertonicity, maintenance of a normal ionized calcium, and the removal of toxins associated with lactic acidosis such as metformin and alcohols. Well folks, this concludes the very first podcast at My Grand Rounds. I truly hope that you enjoy what you're listening to and this somehow contributes to your patient care at the bedside. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay up to date here at My Grand Rounds. Sources for this podcast include The End of the Bicarbonate Era, The Therapeutic Application of the Stewart Approach, Up to Date in Medicine, textbook of critical care 7th edition and of course my several decades of didactic and clinical experience.